Hello and welcome to Into the Black Archive, the Doctor Who podcast that goes through all the Doctor Who episodes, including, unfortunately, uh, this one. Uh, <laughs> this is a story about gas, uh, about tentacles, and about screams so powerful they can save the world. Uh, my name is James Stevenson, and joining me for this uh, dive through old Doctor Who is Owen Cranston, coming to you live from another country. Um, sorry, just to be a pedant here, which, you know, is what we do here. It mm. wasn't tentacles. Well, it's, it's seaweed, isn't it? But it comes out like tentacles. Yeah. That's the vibe I get. Yes. Uh, also, if you hear any bizarre buzzing on my line, um, I think my microphone lead is slightly buggered and I can't find my other one. So <laughs> I'll ed- try my best to edit it out where it occurs, but just yeah. heads up. I can hear it, but it's like so slight. It's maybe once every two minutes. It's yeah. like this little. T- it's not too bad. Yeah, it's a slight buzz, but yeah, sorry. Oh well, it should all be fine. Anyway, uh, the episode we're covering is the last surviving episode of season five. So this is the last one we'll be covering before the end of season. What happened? Also, pedantry not not surviving. <laughs> of course, it's animated. It's the one we have. I really need to. <laughs> oh. It's just one that we have. <laughs> when you get to, particularly during the Trouton era, um, everything is so muddied in terms of what what survives, what is animated, and what we have absolutely nothing of, apart from maybe stills and things that you could maybe make a reconstruction out of, but not much else. Well, we've got, after this season, essentially we don't really have any missing episodes well, I think we've got The Invasion, which is missing a few. And they, that was the first animation which ever got made for Doctor Who. And then we mm. have got Space Pirates, I think. <laughs> yeah, for Space Pirates, which is missing a few episodes. And I don't think it's been animated. So we'll probably be missing out that one as well. But then that's it. And then aside mm. from... Um, which one is it? It is one... It is The Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which is... Missing the colour for its first episode. Okay, well, we can get away with no colour. I mean, we've got away with no colour for the last, what, year that we've been doing this nearly. Yeah, so it's the least of our worries, essentially. Essentially, yes. Uh, But the episode we are covering is Fury of the Deep. Uh, It is a story uh, where the Doctor, Jamie... Yeah? It's a story called Fury of the Deep, and it gave me fury of boredom. Yeah, this one is... If you've been seeking a Doctor Who classic to watch uh, on a cosy night in, uh, don't pick this one. Unless you really want to fall asleep, in which case, go for it. But otherwise, not much here, in my opinion. I have to ask, you saying don't watch it for a cosy night in. You watched this episode then with your girlfriend, didn't you, James, for a cosy night in? Uh, Yes, not intentionally, uh, because I think initially the plan was that uh, my girlfriend wasn't going to be here but then some plans with her changed and she was and she was like, well, I wouldn't mind staying. And so I said, well, that's absolutely fine, but I've got to go watch these episodes. Uh, so she did. And what did she think of a, them? I mean, she was as bored as I was. We had a good laugh about some of it. Like we found like, bits of humour to enjoy about it. and But mainly we were chatting about other things. It, it's, it's an easy episode to just kind of lose interest in and then you maybe dip in and out. And then you find yourself thinking, oh, I've not missed anything because the story hasn't changed much. Yeah, it it's an annoying episode, isn't it? Because the concept which is there does is a good 
and fun concept to play with. So essentially, this episode, essentially, I think the theory is, is that they all land, there's a gas complex, load of gas miners, and one of the gas miners has cut, stumbled across some, um, what, what, what's the phrase? Some alive, um, I think, seaweed. Which yes, malevolent, sentient seaweed. Sentient, that's the word I was looking for. Sentient seaweed. Yeah, sentient. Which eats all the gas and gives out toxic gas and then starts to take over the human brain as like a parasite. And then we get lots of seaweed zombies and then we defeat it with a scream. Which, I mean, if I say it like that, that sounds like a fun plot story, doesn't it? It's defeated, it does. The pro- defeated by sound waves, which is a fun way to play around with for Doctor Who sort of way of that everyone just screams and teaching science to the kids yeah but everything which is good takes like an episode or two too long to pay off yeah i think the issue with this episode is that the way you describe it works but it only really works as a short story like that works like a 45 minute dot two episode in the modern era that we've gotten used to on the times maybe when Davies or Moffat was in charge. The problem is this this episode is six episodes long. Yeah, it's for so it's six, about two and a half hours. It's a six episode curse, isn't it? Yes, we we were saying before that you know a six episode seemed very good when Dalek Invasion of Earth did it so well, but since then it's been. I think most of the six episodes we've watched, and there's been a few of them this season, which have had the same problem, feel too bloated. The amount of story they've actually got. Yeah, like there's exceptions for rules and all that kind of stuff, but it essentially feels like all six parters, even the good ones. I mean, even Dark Invasion had its slow, had its pacing issues. Like they just don't seem to quite know how to use that time effectively. Like you've got stories which kind of work with formats sort of like the Evil of the Daleks and the Keys mm. of Marinus, which break it down to like their own segments with Keys of Marius doing yeah, it in their different those locations. Work, mostly. And Although even, to be fair, even those episodes have some slow ones. Yeah. But but the stand alone non cheat episodes, they just can't seem to be able to work out how to use their time effectively. Yeah, I mean we were even saying, because uh, we watched these together but sort of separately, we would sort of check in in between each episode. We watched them all in bulk. And even by the end of the second episode, we were saying, you could have started this story right there. You didn't even need the previous 25 minutes to, to really get to grips with what was going on. Yes, yeah, it, it was the first episode, in, as which I think was our main problem in that front. Like, you could have started it with the second episode, and you would still know just about the same amount, because there's only one key thing which happened, which is essentially Victoria gets cornered in a oxygen room by the sea- evil seaweed. And that's the only interesting thing which happens in that first episode. And it's really only there to set up a cliffhanger. So so the problem is, the entire first episode is exposition, which isn't even really that important. No. And we don't really understand what is going on. In, or not in a good way either. Like, there's a mysterious mystery stories where we say, oh, we didn't know, like, faceless ones. We didn't know what was going on until the X point in time. That mystery was really interesting. It kept us a grip. But it seriously just felt like we were just in a massive introduction until the fourth ep- end of fourth episode. Yeah. All you get is these teasers of, oh, there might be like a creature in the pipes. 
which is fine, but but it never really gets beyond that. And, and then the creature just kind of arrives to him and says, like, well, yes, we were right. And that's the entire point of the episode done. It gets a little better in some of the episodes moving forward. They do try more things. They try and inject a lot of action in, which I think has become a, a recent trademark of some of these series episodes where suddenly Trout and Jamie are doing quite a bit of action stuff. But... Yeah, overall, very slow, not a lot happens. And there we go, that's our review of this episode. Hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there is there is more to talk about, but we'll try and get through this fairly swiftly, because there's not really a lot to say. Um, shall we, is it worth doing a synopsis? I think I kind of just did one, didn't I? Just... Yeah, because that's what I was thinking, you kind of did one. Let's call that the synopsis then. Um, you know, we've got some pipes, we've got some sea creatures, and Screaming solves it. Uh, so let's talk about who's in this, are they good, are they doing well, and why does it work or not work? Starting with... Actually, I want to start with Victoria Waterfield this episode. Yes. Big time. She's gone and, quite frankly, she's gone and seasoned it. Very boring throughout the entire season until her final episode where she kind of works out how to be more than two-dimensional. Not quite as well as Susan, it has to be said, but it's still a yeah. similar sort of thing. And then she leaves. And she's gone, yeah. So <laughs> it is amazing how uh, Doctor Who seems to have, seems to suddenly remember they have a companion when it's time for them to go. Yeah, like they get, they they feel the need to give them backstory about when to go. has to be said... Aside from Polly and Ben, they did that terribly. Um, yes. But they kind of like go, oh, shit, we've got companions. We need to give them reasons to go. Let's give them some reasons to go. So the reasons so the reasons Victoria go are essentially her moaning that they always end up in really dangerous places, which, to be fair, she isn't wrong. No, and they also always end up in England, which is quite boring. Yes, I mean, if you if you promise time and space, Victoria's just gone around certain eras of England. Oh, where did you ever want to visit, Victoria? I know what I wanted to visit, Doctor. A gas station. And not exactly interesting moments in history, is it? Let's be honest here. She landed in Victoria. She comes from Victorian time. She goes to some sort of like the third ice age. She then goes somewhere else. One second. She, she goes to the adorable snowman. She yeah. then goes to the Ice Ice Warriors. She then goes to future Australia. She then goes to the underground. And then she's here. Mm. Like, it's just Earth endlessly just going boom, 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 boom. It's only yes. one of the interesting points of Earth. It probably helped maybe that the Doctor didn't stay anywhere in space and maybe just stuck to time. At least that would have made it feel better at the time if they couldn't yeah. leave Earth. Actually, no, they, they went to the Tomb of Simon once, which was Telos. Oh yeah, they were on Telos. Ah, oh, she does know. That must be a shame. Like she gets, she gets a planet at the first point. She must be thinking, "Wow, this is endless possibilities." And then she's just in certain degrees of rainy England where there's more and more danger each time. Yeah, and I have to be honest with with you. Every time a companion leaves just because they don't like the danger, I kind of agree with them, and I feel for them. Yes, but at the same time, you think to yourself. Well, you weren't a very good fit as a companion then, if the best reason you can give is, oh, I didn't like the danger. Because surely, when you, you know, we usually find that when a, a companion meets the Doctor, it's usually in a situation of danger. So really, they should probably work out that that's like a thing. Well, to be fair, Victoria Waterfield... Ooh. That was a big bang. Well, to be fair to Victoria Waterfield, she doesn't 
leave because she's with many choices. She's she's on Scaro. Her pa- parents die, and she's got yeah. no one else really with her to do anything with her. And and so she kind of has to go in Vatardis, which then just does its it thing does. and doesn't send you anywhere. So I don't think she really had anywhere to go at that point. But then we then missing the character development which the writers could have done. But I don't think her situation in that sense I think it makes sense with her with her story. I just feel like she needed to have a bit more development with somewhere in between somewhere in between. I think when you say it like that, the Victoria Waterfield story from her perspective is astonishingly sad. Yeah, it's horrific. And now she's stuck years and years and years in the future from where she's actually from with these people she's barely met. I mean, her surrogate mother is now someone who was mainly controlled by seaweed. Yeah. But, you know, it's what she's got. But to be fair, I feel like if... If I was from the past and went time travelling, I knew all about all the advanced technology and all that kind of stuff. I feel like it'd be more painful going back to your time than it is going to be just going somewhere in the future. I suppose so, but, you know, she'll never be home. Yeah, no, she'll but, have to just turn that into home. But I don't think she would ever... Even if she went in for times and made her way back, she was never going to be home anyway because her parents died. Hmm, yeah, yes. So, so, yes, basically all sad. Yes. But you know what's even more sad, Owen? The fact that Jamie doesn't really do much in this. Not even that, but it's the fact that um, the Victoria Waterfield scream. Yes. Instead of maybe trying to fix the issue that all Victoria has done in season five is scream at things. And you think, oh, maybe we could sort that out. Instead, they turn it into the weapon by which the war (laughs) between man and seaweed is won. I feel like it could have been better if they went kind of more into the science of it. But it was more just a quick, oh, look, her scream repels it. Let's amplify this and make it on a loop. Well, hey, done. The, yeah, there was no explanation of it. It just feels like such a cheap solution. Like, it doesn't require much thinking, especially because they make it so obvious that that is the solution. But even by episode two, you were saying you'd figured out that, yeah. that Victoria Screaming was going to be the solution. Yeah, I just didn't tell you. And then I told you, I think, in episode four, which that was, yeah. was a thing. And then it later turned out to actually be the solution. Like I I appreciate yeah. the fact which they laid it in for a while but i feel like they kind of needed a bit more science a bit more reason for what was happening like going in depth about for frequent frequencies so they don't exactly. like that specific frequency and i have to be honest with you at this point they could have actually have mentioned all of these things but i got so bored i started doing work the only explanation that would work for it is if you you think oh is that a meta thing where they, where they maybe they know that the screaming is bad and they've gone, well, well, let's try and address it in like a fun way, saying that it's actually the solution to a problem. But for me, I'm not, I'm not really sure that it is meta. And frankly, if it was, I feel it wouldn't come across as like a sort of pat on the back callback. And it's more like a putting your own failings out in the cold light of day and hoping people don't notice. It, it's a real microcosm of Victoria as a character this episode. Yeah. Like it has all of her issues and also all of the little things that could have been stronger there. So it's you see the potential again, but you still get the same fairly dry, not particularly interesting character. 
that's just been badly handled by the writers. Yeah. Just constantly. Yeah. So, should we talk about another character that has a pretty bad ride of it as well this episode? Because I know you were about to mention him. Jamie. Yeah. Oh, God. Jamie, this season. It's just they don't give him anything to do. No. He just... Apart from be a love interest. He sort of just runs around. And that's it. Which is a shame, because he's a good character and I enjoy being with him. Well, the thing is, in the last series, you'd always get this battle of wits between Jamie and the Doctor, and, and, and Jamie would be questioning him, and Jamie would come up with their own plans, and there would be this back and forth, and it felt like a double act, even towards, like, the Faceless Ones, which is a particularly good example of that, that first episode, where they're sort of dealing with things in their own with no TARDIS. Um, and also, for same season, this season as well, but Tomb of the Cybermen, like, they, Jamie didn't do much in there, but they still had that fun banter. But they don't even have that fun banter yeah. here. It's just so dry. There's, there's no opportunities given in the narrative for Jamie to show. And he has so many qualities. You know, this is a character that was funny, a character that was sort of banterish and witty, and you had fun with him being on screen. Now, Jamie's been reduced to a love interest for Victoria to try and make her more interesting. And so you've killed another character trying to make another character better. And the love story isn't particularly believable. They just don't have a lot of chemistry. Yeah, and I don't think they ever have. And they, like they don't even commit to it either. It's just kind of yeah, just floating. They, they bring it up at the end when Victoria goes off, and they have this whole you know longing looks at each other from within the TARDIS and on this beach. And it's very well, Doctor Rosie. You could tell maybe there was a little bit of inspiration from that, but even so, what you get is. It doesn't feel emotionally satisfying. It feels really hollow. It feels like you're watching... Um, mm, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for this. It, it's, it feels like for Yaz and 13th Doctor relationship... That's it, a good one. If yeah. it never got acknowledged in the episode. Because it kind of got... I would argue for where which it was handled with Dan in Evil, Evil the Daleks kind of improved that element of it. But it feels like... Here, Which I agree with. We've got here, we've got that underlying thing of just, is it there, is it there, is it there, is it there? But I mean, never acknowledge whether it is or not. So it just kind of just left it going, eh? Like, I feel like if it was even acknowledged as slightly, like it would be better. Yes, I think what you get is the same feeling with 13 in the hours, I think, that I have at the moment, which is that they're trying to make that a relationship, but they haven't actually done an awful lot of the groundwork for that to be possible. Like, it doesn't feel like those characters gel in that way. And so when you see the scenes in the story that are saying it quite blatantly, it feels too forced. And you don't feel like it's been a natural thing. Jamie and Victoria, as a narrative or as a concept, has felt forced the whole way through. And it's made Jamie weaker because they're trying to twist him into more of this kind of, like, dashing man for Victoria who cares about her to the point where he forgets sometimes that he actually needs to maybe, like, not be in danger and save people. Or help the Doctor. Yeah. As the uh, Doctor does everything. And even then, in this one here, in this episode, moving on for Doctor, even for Doctor doesn't seem to be doing much in this set story. Yeah, it's just we wait for the seaweed to do its stuff. And it is, you know, you think, oh, is there a grand plan? You know, is there a secret seaweed overlord? Not really. And we just kind of accidentally stumble upon the solution in the last episode. And then we just kind of go, 
Well, hey, bola, bang, done. Yeah, and the seaweed doesn't have a counter. The seaweed doesn't have an obvious motivation other than sort of being like a virus and just producing itself kind of thing. And then we go bang and the, and the dirt is gone, so it bang, and everything's back to normal. Everything's <laughs> I'm back Barry to Scott. And Do you have a seaweed issue? And the issue is, is that then everything just resets. There's no consequences. Hmm. Yeah, the, all the because there's like this foam and this gas that the seaweed emit, uh, which is toxic and causes problems and hurts people. And that just goes because apparently sound does that. It's really strange, unexplained as to why it works. It just We're just told that it does and then it works. Do, do you think which this would be better if it wasn't animated? Um, it depends on what quality of the production values that this episode had, actually. Because I think the setting... Uh, the setting is kind of like it's a European gas company with kind of this picturesque white cliffs and, you know, quite quiet and a bit off the beaten path. I think that works. Like, it's kind of a claustrophobic setting. If they had a good set and good production values, I think it would have worked as a setting. Do you think we should say but, the animation then has potentially ruined that by making it so all the rooms feel so open? I think maybe. But at the same time, I think the flip side of that is that if it was live action and they're going for this kind of a steer closed off setting that's almost making the problems of the story worse because there's not much life in the setting to get you excited either I don't think so it's it not, feels drab the whole way there's not much life in the setting in this either it's just got very big sets which aren't really used yeah i'm i mean i'm that's exactly what i'm saying i'm just wondering whether that would be the same case in the live action if we would of course had it i think the whole like if if we're calling this episode like a recipe and you've got the ingredients of the set and you've got the ingredient of the story and the ingredient of the characters and so on all the ingredients are kind of watered down it's like it's like making it it's like you want to make a chili but you don't put any chili powder in it and so you've basically just got bolognese yeah yeah and i'm just trying to work out if this was as bad as it was if that makes sense <sighs> yeah it's put it this way it's not planet it's not planet of giants bad no it's just that's the issue that's the annoying thing about this episode is that for the concept like when i put out for synopsis it's interesting but they just yeah. don't add in the elements there which need to be like that i think the perfect way to demonstrate this is that essentially if you get stung by the seaweed it turns you into a zombie slave. You get little bits of seaweed squirting out of your, sh like, underneath your sleeves and all that stuff. In episode one, uh, Harris's wife gets stung and she starts to feel ill. But then it's three episodes later, I think, or the end of episode two, where we finally get to see the seaweed coming out from underneath her sleeve. Like, mm. if that had happened... It's episode three, isn't it? Yeah, if that had, like, happened, or we saw it poking through and she was horrified by it or something along those lines, and we actually got a hint there and we could have, so, like, weren't sure if she hallucinated it or not. Like, that would have made it feel a bit more interesting, but we don't even have that. We just kind of have her feeling faint. Yeah, there's no... Um... In, when you write a script, or when you talk to somebody about a script who's done it, they'll often talk about raising the stakes. And I've mentioned this on plenty of Black Archives before, actually, where I felt like it's not been there. This is a prime example of not 
thinking about the maximum potential of your villain because this seaweed could be any old thing i mean if you even if you compare it to like the great intelligence who's using the yeti there could be an intelligence of some kind who's in control of the seaweed and is like an alien entity who uses seaweed to terraform a planet or something so then you've got motivation or the seaweed is more violent in the way it attacks humans or or it's more violent in the way it attacks the environment all of this feels watered down it doesn't fulfill the potential of the idea and it never feels like you've seen everything you come away from the episode feeling like is that it i think what you've also stumbled on it there is i think one of the problems with this era of doctor who when you're mentioning um for great intelligence and all that kind of stuff all of these episodes are essentially identical yeah, you've they got, really are this season, aren't they? You've got grumpy person who doesn't like the Doctor. The only kind of exception here is with Lethbridge Stewart, but he's still we still in that story have someone who's instantly against the Doctor. And yes, then, and we also have a kind of parasite thing or or an unexplained force that's spreading throughout an area. It's mostly spreading throughout a base which is under siege. And like every, you feel like you feel like all of these characters are slightly different shades of the exact same color, mm. and all of these different situations are slightly different shades of the exact same color. It's all just slightly too similar. Yeah, it feels you could almost put all these episodes one to one, and they would feel the same in a lot of ways. It's like the Abominable Snowman is like a baked potato. And then the web of fear is like roast potatoes, and this is like mashed potatoes. It's like, yeah, it's different, but it's still potatoes. Like you still, it's still made from the same ingredients. Yeah, you've got the same issues. Yeah, I. It's just one of those you can't get into. It's not like Planet of Giants where it's bad, and you think, oh my god, that's really bad storytelling because it's not. Like it, the storytelling works functionally. I feel like it if makes this, sense if this was for length of planet of giants it would be three parter it would be one of the best stories doctor who had ever written but they then decided oh, i disagree with that <laughs> no but you get what i'm guessing it though it would have been a really good story it'd be better though but it feels like they took those three episodes and just stretched them out and went well hey yeah there is so much padding like i think the the main thing is there are some side characters that they want to make a thing out of um i think the main ones you've got robson who's the guy who runs the base who is kind of like a lot of the characters we've seen running bases before, like Cutler in the 10th planet and um, the guy from the moon base. And oh, I'm trying to think of the right example. That You know what I mean. There's a couple of them that we've met. Robson feels like a watered-down version of those characters, isn't as extreme, kind of feels like a sort of EastEnder from London who's kind of fell out of an episode they should have been in into an episode that they shouldn't have been, and it feels like they stick out. You've got Harris, who's this nerdy scientist, and his wife, who get, who's one of the first people to get affected by the seaweed. You know, Harris is vaguely memorable without really having any traits that are unique. Just feels like a paint-by-numbers scientist character. You've got the director of the sea gas company after, like, episode four and stuff, and she's, you know, a businesswoman, but that's about all you learn about her. There's just no backstory to these characters. They feel like such surface level writing without getting into it like at least with web of fear you had interesting side characters to make it better like this you just don't get that at all yeah 
And it's also just stereotype on top of stereotype, like the Mr. Quill and Mr. Oak characters. Oh, the maintenance people, yeah. They are just your stereotypical evil people. Yes, I mean, it's basically, imagine the, the baddies from Home Alone if they weren't funny. Yes, and also, when are we going to start learning? Which, if you've got a character named after a tree, they're probably evil. <laughs> yeah. It isn't wrong. Oak and... I never know. Like, there were a few scenes with those which I found really weird. Like, not weird as in off-putting, like, ooh, that's a tense scene. Weird as in, like, that's really odd. Why are they doing that? Like, why was that the decision that they made to, to make the scene like that? And you feel as if characters suddenly become really stupid when the plot needs them to be because it has to move forward. Like, nothing feels natural in this episode. It's all like, I want to get to this point in the story as so I'm going to just force everything in the story around to get there rather than figure out a, a route that feels natural to it. Yeah, like, you're talking about that bit there where they do something extraordinarily dumb for no apparent reason, is when they walk mm. into the main control room where Victoria's obviously going to be, who obviously is going to recognise them. Like, why the fuck yeah. did they go there? Yeah, and there are things that all the time in this episode where you just think, really, are we just going to let that happen? Like, Victoria gets kidnapped in episode five, like, in pretty much broad daylight in a room, and nobody notices. Yeah, it, it's that, those sorts of things which generally makes me think, like, is that the animation or was it more dark and dingy in the in the real life footage? I suppose so. But even so, it's yeah. like no one even... There's no audio recording that Im- implies that anyone even twitches. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to... Unless you've got anything else to complain about, let's roll up the complaining and talk about... Uh, we, oh, yep. Yeah. We can start to. I'll say one more thing on it and then I'll... Pro- and that's probably my piece. I think when you compare it to a bad episode, I'm putting a lot, big inverted commas on the word bad. Um, I consider a bad piece of writing to be something that doesn't make sense or does something wrong. This episode doesn't do a lot wrong, so to speak, but it almost does nothing right. And it's very dull, and it takes so long to get to where it wants to. It's not a bad episode, but goodness me, it's it's dull, and depending on which one you find worse, I think is how you're going to feel about this. Because if you think dull's worse than bad, then this would be up there with one of the worst ones we've watched. So just to bring it into this session, let's talk mm. about the end of the Companions run with Victoria Waterfield. Yes. Do you feel like her ending was deserved? Uh, do you know what? I don't think it was all too bad of an ending. I think you can say a lot about how episode six is structured around it because the the main story of solving the seaweed is done within the first ten minutes of that episode. It feels very macro terror-y, but without that proper payoff. Like for macro terror, yeah, heavily at, towards and the last episode heavily ends on the celebration of everything being solved, doesn't it? Yeah. But only that one there had proper pacing and a good payoff. So you didn't yeah, really see, feel one, too burnt by that. The payoff feels so quick and so sudden. And then you're kind of like, oh, wait, this, we're already done. And then instead of thinking, because we were spending a lot of the episode talking about how they weren't using the time well. It gets even more frustrating when you watch the last 15 minutes. Because it's just these ridiculous, like, no plot required scenes. Like, they're having dinner now. Oh, and now Robson's chatting to 
people. There's multiple scenes of Robson going around and chatting to people about going to bed. It's like multiple scenes of this. Do we need that? And then we have this long, extended Victoria goodbye, which is three or four scenes of, and we've had that being talked about throughout the episode as well. There's a bunch of scenes with Victoria talking about how there are always been places that are dangerous. It's always frustrating. She doesn't like it. So you feel like you've gone over it over and over by the time you get there. Yeah. But it's not the worst ending. It's better than Ben and Polly's. So there's that. And better than Dodo's too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun one. However, just a... Yeah, it's really frustrating. I feel like her ending makes sense within the story which they set out for her at the start of her run. It's just a shame which they didn't do anything in that middle bit. Yeah, I'll agree with that, actually. Because I think if it had it now, and you compare it with she obviously lost her parents and her family when we meet her. Now she's found a kind of family because she gets taken in by um, Harris, the scientist, and his wife, who was seaweed before. Who seem awfully lovely, and I'm sure she'll be very happy. So it's a nice ending, and it's like the first sign that she can have some stability and rebuild a life for herself. So that's nice. Yes. However, I want to put something to you, James. Yes. Harris seems very familiar. It's almost like we've seen him before. Do you think? I don't just think, I know. You know Manak from um, the Ark, the chief controller? Yes. Same actor? Yeah. Roy Spencer. Oh, already reusing. <laughs> do, you think, do you think Manak's better or Harris? I think Harris, just because Harris is kind of in there more. And also, you can't yeah. say about reusing because, well, yeah, so, well, some of the best actors in Doctor Who were reused, weren't they? Karen Gillan is a modern example. Peter Capaldi is a modern example as well, if you're talking about Doctor. Even one of the most famous side characters in Doctor Who was a reused actor. Freeman Agumon? No. Well, Agumon, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, she is one. But Nicholas Courtney. She was reused. Yeah, Nicholas yeah, Courtney. Yeah, Nicholas Courtney, of course, was reused. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's perfectly fine to reuse yeah. actors. Yeah. It's just interesting when it comes up. Because yeah. then you... I mean, I love the theories. Do you remember when Capaldi became the Doctor and there was that whole, oh, they're going to have to, like, tie in the fact that um, he was in the fires of Pompeii. And they actually kind of did make a reference to it. Um, I think because of that, now when you can go through these episodes, there's the chance of maybe thinking, oh, can you put fan theories in there, explaining how these are connected and things. So th- I find it quite fun when they reuse an actor. Um, yeah. I like to think that they're trying to make a little Easter egg that there's connections between episodes. Kind of like Marvel, which I've always liked. And if you believe what Rusty Davies has said about what Doctor Who should be, might be what we might what we could get used to in the next few years. But that is looking in for future, which is what we shall do for next week with our end of season. What happened as this episode draws to a very complaining end. So final thoughts, <laughs> James, in the last few minutes. Uh, well, we'll be looking into the past while looking into the future for the end of season. What happened? Yeah. That's always a fun episode, though. So if um, you haven't listened to one of our what happens before, definitely worth doing. They're always a riot. Um, it's mainly just us laughing at stuff. Um it's not a bad episode, but goodness me, it's dull. Two and a half hours could have been one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely the main issue with this story is that it is slow. So, with, yeah. with that in mind, what's your score out of 10? I'm going to give it a three, Owen. Ooh, give painful. It three. Yeah, yeah, it's... 
Because if we're calling five an average, five, I don't want to be bored by a five. And I was mind-numbingly bored at times by, a, by Fury of the Deep. So it can't go particularly close to a five either. There are some nice things. I like the setting of the story. I think the concept's all right. But I think the thing that really gets me is there's no motivation for that villain. There's no motivation for the solution. There's barely any motivation for the characters apart from just money and pride and doing their jobs right. It just doesn't feel like there's any reason for the story to exist at times. Yeah. And so it can't go much higher than that. What about you? I'm going to say four. Okay. I think the issue is is that it, the reason why I'm not going to give it a three is because I do like the concept. I like the... Mm. The characters are reasonably okay, but there's no basing to it. There's no motivation. There's no reason for anything to happen. It just kind of happens, and it just feels like a three-parter got stretched mm. to all hell, which is the same sort of problem which we had with the Ice Warriors. <laughs> yes, we tried to pad out, didn't we? Uh, this story reminds me of... It's the last thing I'll say, and I think we can wrap it up. There was a movie review of a film called Pearl Harbor by a guy called Roger Ebert, who, if you know film reviews, you know who he is. And he called that movie a two-hour movie that was stretched into three hours. And that, or packed into three hours. And that is the final word on this episode. So thank you very much for listening to us. If you want to get involved, you can tweet us at BlackArchivePod or you can email us BlackArchivePod at gmail.com. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to tune in or uh, listen to wherever you are, our end of season, what happened, that is out next week. Well, hey, so thank you very much for listening and good night. Thank you very much. See you soon.